0: I'm excited to introduce our guest today is the Chief Technical Officer at Ibex Mercado. He's a lifelong Bitcoin learner, an advocate, as well as a lifelong pleb. Rafa Cordon, welcome to the show. Hey, Q. How's it going?
1: Happy to be here.
0: Excited to have you. Rafa, for our audience who may not be as familiar with you, do you mind giving them a little bit of background on who you are and how you got into Bitcoin in the first place?
1: Sure. So I'm Rafa Cordon. I'm the CTO at Ibex. Ibex is a Bitcoin payments company. We help as merchants and enterprises get onboarded on, onto Bitcoin. So our job is to bring Bitcoin to as many people as possible through our enterprise and business customers. How did I get into Bitcoin? I got into Bitcoin back... Well, I read the white paper, Satoshi White Paper in 2011. <laughs> and, and, and I read it, it was like, ah, too complicated. And I threw it away. A lot of people probably... <laughs>
0: did the same thing. 100%. Um,
1: (laughs) And I got, and the, the second time that I saw Bitcoin and I finally paid attention back, it was back in 2017. I was working at a database consulting company. We did database projects like large database implementations for telcos and financial services firms. And I was doing research on distributed databases. So I came into Bitcoin more from the technical side than than sort of the the philosophical perspective. I was looking at distributed databases and how the, the, this is technical stuff, but there's this thing called the CAP theorem about the consistency, availability, and the ability to partition a database. And I was trying to figure out how to build a distributed database system for, for generating transactions. And it seemed impossible. And then I saw Bitcoin and I was like, oh my God, this is, like somebody this has already thing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it is possible to have transactions in a distributed system the Byzantine Always General's problems. problem <laughs> I love yeah it. so that's how I got to Bitcoin and I, I went through my I have to confess that I went through my you know ship point tour of duty back in back in the day We've all but been there. you know as a as a I, I, I finally learned that Bitcoin is the only is the only digital money. So I, I joined Ibex and I've been, you know, building cool stuff ever since.
2: I, I think we're also we're underselling the 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 massive success and innovation that IBEX has been part of. Can you tell us can you give us some of the stats like really pitch our audience on like why IBEX is amazing? Obviously, you guys have been involved in El Salvador, you guys have been involved with Bitcoin Amsterdam, you helped us uh set up lightning enabled systems all throughout the conference. You guys have done an incredible amount of amazing shit specifically related to lightning. T- tell us about it. Hi- give give me some hype.
1: Thank you. It's been a wild ride for us. This... We, IBEX started as an OTC desk in, in, in Guatemala to help people in Guatemala buy Bitcoin. Like when I bought my first Bitcoin in Guatemala, I literally like got it from a guy in the street and paid cash. So there was like no formal way for people to access Bitcoin in Guatemala. So IBEX started in 2018 doing that. And when the Bitcoin law was announced back in 2021, a couple of us were in Miami and we realized holy shit, we we need to go to El Salvador and figure out how to help Bitcoin be successful over there. So we are, most of the IBEX guys are from Guatemala. And Guatemala is a four-hour drive away from San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador. So like literally two days later, we drove down to El Salvador and started meeting with businesses. And we were like, okay, how how can we help you, you know, uh, with Bitcoin? Do you have any plans for this? And what we first learned is that maybe the president of El Salvador knew what Bitcoin was, but the majority of Bitcoin of, of business owners had no idea, that, or they they had like zero education. So the first thing we did is we filled up conference rooms in hotels in El Salvador with people with business folks, like business owners, to to help them learn and like explain Bitcoin 101, and we did like the whole thing. And that's when we realized okay, they, business owners and merchants have no way of accepting Bitcoin payments. They have, maybe there's a wallet, like they can, you know, download a wallet, but for a large merchant, for example, Starbucks or KFC or these like, you know, chains that have a bunch of restaurants, they have like a consolidated way to see transactions, they have no solution. So we realized that in order to help Bitcoin be successful in the summer, we needed to build something for large merchants. And that's where Ibex Pay was born, our, our, our solution for merchants. And so, and, and so, we started onboarding one of our first customers were the were the franchise owners of the Starbucks down there. They also had KFC, Wendy's, a bunch of like fast food chains. And the El Salvador government didn't have a Lightning integration for the first iteration of the Chivo wallet, the government wallet. So we provided our Lightning API for these folks to enable Bitcoin transactions. Right when the Chivo wallet launched, so the government was, was giving out I don't know how many dollars worth of Bitcoin for people who, who, who downloaded and installed the app. And so we were supporting that, that big launch with a wallet. Afterwards, we realized, wow, there, there, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. Businesses want to accept Bitcoin, the whole world wants to accept Bitcoin, it's not just El Salvador. And so we, you know, we, we partnered with, with BTC Mag for the Miami Bitcoin conference. That's where the first time that, that, the, that our solution was used for launch conference, but we didn't really advertise it that much. And so now for, for BTC Amsterdam, we were, in, we were like super ready and like the whole conference was onboarded for, for IBEX Pay, like all the merchants. All the bars everywhere, even the ticket sales happened through IBEX Pay. I can't say exactly the number of transactions right now. I don't have it off the top of my mind. When we launched in Osama, we were processing around 10,000 transactions a day when we were supporting the government wallet in, in the beginning. At BTC Amsterdam, I think it was like 2,000 transactions or something like that that went through IBEX Pay. But it keeps growing. Like Comparing the Miami conference to the European conference, I think there was a lot more usage at Amsterdam. And that is just a testament to how Lightning is growing and knowledge about Lightning is is spreading throughout all Bitcoiners. So super excited for what's to come.
0: I want to, there are a few different directions we can go. I want to stick on IBEX before going back to your personal journey, if we can. And in these sort of conferences or mini hotel gatherings that you guys would have what were some pieces of fud that some of these potential businesses would ask you guys about their concerns or for using bitcoin or with using bitcoin
1: the first is that they thought that was this was a something controlled by the government like they thought like the government would be able to see their transactions and that the government had they didn't know anything about Bitcoin, so they thought that maybe this was like some C B D C thing or something. They didn't use the word C B D C but they, they thought it was like something that's being issued by the government, like a new type of currency. But remember, El Salvador moved from having their own organization like 10 like 15, 20 years ago. So they they come from they, they, they been through that process already. And that was, I think, one of the first things that they were scared about, whether this was something controlled by the government. And part of the reason that they wanted to use IMEX was that they didn't want to use the government wallet because they they didn't want the government to, to you know, have visibility into, into their business. That was the first thing. The other stuff is like the, the typical, you know, this is only for money laundering or only criminals use Bitcoin, the typical sort of initial responses. But the first thing was that you know these citizens, like any citizen in the world, is doesn't trust the government. And so anything that is sort of pushed top down from the government, people are gonna question it and are gonna you know question the motives, whether this is another form of control, or is this some something that the government wants to sort of monopolize and then and then own. It's like the typical story in Latin America where people involved in governments then sort of find a business, that happened throughout the telco, the telecom rollout, when when, tel- when telcos first started and the privatization of telecommunication services, a lot of people in the government got rich by owning the, the frequencies for cell phone services. And so that was, I think, something that they were scared about. But when we explained bitcoin like this is completely open nobody has any control over this they they, they started to you know get a get a more trust that what we were saying because we were coming from outside we were not part of the government we were we had no affiliation with the government we were just like telling our personal stories we're bitcoiners we came into this because of you know these reasons we're, we, we want to help you be successful with bitcoin that was sort of what we were telling these business owners
2: Got it. And are you guys still involved with the, the Chivo wallet? Or are you guys still, you know, helping organizations get, get access to the Lightning Network there?
1: No, not not the government wallet. We're not involved in that anymore. I think it wasn't the right fit working with our, with our government. I think... When the rollout happened, there were a bunch of, of sort of rules programmed into the application that made the user experience not that great. And so I, I think it was it was really not the right fit for us. It gave us a lot of, it was an opportunity to learn for us. And it gave us you know, a, a great experience on running like a large lightning network operation on a scalable platform and like a resiliency, scalability, all those things that then we later incorporated into our, our stack
2: but no we're, we're not working with uh, the El Salvador government anymore. Got it, got it. Interesting. Yeah, I know that there's been there's been, you know, concerns or questions around sort of like how the the wallet works and basically like whether there is kind of like systems in place that would that truly support the the best interest of the people of El Salvador. And I think that, you know, in these types of situations, my response is always like we should be building systems that are, that reflect the fact, as we like to say, that like Bitcoin is for enemies, right? We should expect that we need to have systems and incentives in place that make it economically infeasible for people that we don't have to trust to take actions that would not harm us. And I think anytime those get, get kind of, I don't want to say manipulated, but, but systems are put in place that don't support those, those ideals, then it becomes much more challenging to effectively use Bitcoin in the way it was ultimately designed.
1: And and don't get me wrong, I think what El Salvador is doing is fantastic for Bitcoin. They are becoming an area for Bitcoin experimentation and testing. It it happened for us and there are a lot of other Bitcoin companies that are setting up in El Salvador and building cool stuff that you can actually test out and, and, and test in a smaller market to see if it's a product that you can take to the world. So I think it was a great decision on part of the government. To adopt Bitcoin, I'm, I'm definitely not against it. I'm just saying th- that's what business people were were thinking. But for me, I think I, I think what El Salvador do, did is amazing, and I hope politicians in Guatemala, because we're neighbors, they take note of what's happening down there, and we we can you know do something similar very soon.
2: Interesting. What I do you uh, think? Was- oh, good. good. Just.
0: I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but I'm just going to ask it in a very direct way. But we're obviously in a very deep bear market in Bitcoin winter. Have some of the merchants that you guys onboarded or just some of the people you guys have had conversations with, like just sort of been turned off by the price of Bitcoin or have they still actually stayed? And have you guys been able to continue to grow despite the price?
1: Well, in Salvador, we offer conversion. So merchants that's what that's another problem that we solve for, for, for merchants. First they needed a platform and then they needed a way to convert payments to dollars. So uh, several of the, of the merchants use our conversion service. You, we, we have a, literally like a little slider within IBEX pay that you can set, what percentage you want to keep in Bitcoin and what percentage you want to, you want to keep in, in local currency. I don't think they've been turned off at all. The, the merchants continue accepting Bitcoin payments. The whole Bitcoin project in El Salvador has attracted a lot of tourism and, and new people that want to spend Bitcoin. And so, are accepting Bitcoin payments. Some merchants keep the Bitcoin and some merchants convert the fiat. It's I think it, it would be like around 50-50. Some people convert and some people keep the Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin should be, tra- it should be transparent, right? There's like, people shouldn't even know what kind of, you know, if they're receiving Bitcoin or not. The system just works. Like it, it works so well that you don't have to think about, you know, what's going on in the background, just like sending an email. You don't know all the protocols or how it's working necessarily. It just works. And so I don't, I don't think merchants have been turned off at all. Um, I think... Given the, like the conversations that we have with merchants, they're very excited. And some of these merchants, they have merchants in other countries outside of El Salvador, and they want to roll out the payment solution to other countries.
0: So I want to talk a little bit just on the topic of Bitcoin being a medium of exchange. For a lot of people, especially like myself included, it really is a store of value. I get so upset when I have to spend my Bitcoin right now. I will go out of my way to go buy more Bitcoin to spend that rather than having to spend anything that I have already sort of bought, held, and put in cold storage. And I'm curious how you and the team at IBEX are trying to get people to think about Bitcoin at that next stage of money being that medium of exchange.
1: A large, a big thing here is remittances like I can speak for Guatemala, I think 15% of the Guatemalan GDP is remittances only. So can you define the- that
2: term just for our audience? When you say remittances, what do you mean?
1: Remittances are, is money that is being sent from people abroad. So there's a lot of immigration from Guatemalans and El Salvador. I think El Salvador is even bigger than Guatemala. A lot of immigration to the United States. And so Guatemalans living in the United States, Salvadorians Salvador is living in the United States they send money back to their family members. That's, that's a remittance. And so Guatemala's economy, the GDP, it's measured in the GDP, around 15% of the whole economy of Guatemala, and I would say like 20, 25% in El Salvador, is based on remittances. So come, money coming in from expats into the country. And literally 25%, a third of that money that comes in, is taken by as commissions or fees by all the different like, actors within like, the money supply chain when the money comes into, into our countries. So Bitcoin you know, improves this in order of magnitude. And, and if people are receiving their remittances or receiving money from relatives in Bitcoin, it's easier to spend it in Bitcoin than to, to think of it as a store of value. A lot of, many of the people that receive remittances are, so another, an, another interesting fact is in Guatemala, 40% of, of people are unbanked. So four out of 10 don't have a bank account. And, and so they're not thinking about saving a large sums of money. Most of the money that, that comes in remittances is spent on daily consumption. And so spending the Bitcoin as just money to spend on, on, on daily consumption is, is a is a common thing I think many people that that, that see bitcoin as a, as a store of value probably come from from other places where th- these are not the typical problems right they're not, not, not remittances or you know remittances are not are not a big thing I was fortunate not like not to, to, to have to be in that situation but people who are re- receiving remittances for like daily, consumption items, it's, you know, they're willing to spend it. And, and, an interesting thing that came up when we did the, the, the initial Salvador rollout is that we did like a histogram to see like, what was the distribution of transaction sizes? Like, and the, I would say, I think like 60% of transactions in Bitcoin were between two to $4 worth of Bitcoin. So people were doing, were using it for micro payments.
0: It's, it's always interesting to see and have these conversations around the present day use cases for Bitcoins, because there is a, a level of privilege that especially Americans get to have in regards to money. And then you turn around and you leave America and you start to really see how and why they need money in real time. In these interactions or in your own personal experience, are there things you would like to see further developed or offered for people to be able to use their Bitcoin?
1: I think financial institutions getting onboarded onto Bitcoin, like large, and that's big part of our like sales, like our commercial effort is not to onboard like individuals or like small merchants, but to onboard these big companies that have millions of users on their app. And just adding Bitcoin into an app like these, like there's this tendency right now of of this thing called super apps, super apps, this app that does everything like, like WeChat in China, uh, Kakao in Korea, there's several like super apps coming up in in different countries. And so our focus is helping these super app companies integrate Bitcoin within their apps. And that, and like, that's one single effort that you need to do to Provide exposure to Bitcoin for like five million, 10 million people in one shot. And so that's what, what we're focusing on. I think I think more financial institutions are getting more comfortable with Bitcoin every day, especially in here in Guatemala, we're next to El Salvador. A lot of institutions are asking about it. And so that's I think what needs to happen. From a regulatory standpoint, definitely. You know, there is no legal definition for Bitcoin in a lot of countries. I think only El Salvador is the country that has like a, a, a law that says what Bitcoin is in a certain way. Like it's a it, it needs more details, but there's like a legal definition of what Bitcoin is. I think we need to define what Bitcoin is in a, from a legal standpoint, not necessarily like laws by, passed by Congress, But things like, you know, jurisprudence, like having, you know, a history of interpretations of what Bitcoin is. And then there's like a general idea from a legal point of view of what what Bitcoin is. I think that needs to happen in these countries for more financial institutions to get comfortable with it. But at the end of the day, it's about the people, like how people are gonna see Bitcoin how they're gonna use it. We're doing some user research with with people who cash out remittances. And it's been interesting on how you need to change a mindset. And I think all of us Bitcoiners, we changed that mindset. It took us a long time, but we changed that mindset. And so how can we change the mindset for millions of people in, in, in one shot, for example? We, were, we, we created like a mock Bitcoin wallet and we were showing it to people who currently cash out remittances. They received remittances and converted it to cash. And one of the first things that came up is that the, the first pieces of feedback was like, hey, I don't have to create an account here. Like I don't have to put in my email and password. And that was surprised. They were like, oh, like I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to use it because I don't trust it. <laughs> Because they're used to creating an account, just like a bank account, like a
2: Facebook Oh, account. wow. That's so interesting.
0: Hey, guys. This is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment and owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at bitcoinmagazinepro.com.
2: Wait, so yeah, just repeat that. that was people people were <laughs> I want to make sure I understood what you're saying. You're saying that because people are so used to being KYC, which I view as like a crime. The fact that we have to, that when if somebody wants to engage with financial services, they must fully dox themselves to whatever services they're using. You're right. saying that because your users didn't have to do that, they were like, I don't know if I can trust this financial exactly.
1: app. Exactly. Exactly. Wow.
2: <laughs> Man, that is fucked up.
1: It's it is that's what I'm ch- talking about like changing a mental model because, you know, these people, a lot of people who receive remittances probably didn't get like a high school education or, you know, college or anything, and so they're used to creating an account. Most of them have a Facebook account or a Twitter account, and so, you know, any new service that I'm going to use, I need to create an account for. That's like, I think, like the logical sort of reasoning, and when you say, hey, you can just use it, receive Bitcoin, you don't have to create an account. They're like, wait a minute, what is this? That was an interesting thing, so we're Thinking about how we can sort of educate the user to sort of break those those paradigms that that sort of Bitcoin enables, right? And, and so those are the things, it's, it's more things that have to change sort of in people's psyche or, or mentality or the way that they've been used to consume, you know, internet-based services into how Bitcoin works. Yeah.
0: I want to interrupt this for just a quick second because the FOMC minutes came out and Again, we live in the moment in time where I guess everyone is now a Fed expert and interest rate expert. Confirmed another 75 basis point rate hike. Rafa, like what are your thoughts? You you discovered and, and rediscovered Bitcoin in 2017. Especially since 2020, it feels like every single Bitcoiner on Bitcoin Twitter has become this like Federal Reserve interest rate sort of expert connoisseur. <laughs> like do you care? Do you bother yourself with with the nuances of what goes on with the dollar?
1: More and more each time, and I wouldn't say it's just bitcoiners who become sort of federal, like Fed experts. I was talking to a guy yesterday who flips homes, and he was talking to the broker about ch- about changing, you know, giving a, a discount on a home because he didn't know what the fed if the fed if the, if the fed came out with this hype that just was announced he was like okay give a special offer right before the fed comes out because if the fed uh, comes out people are going to be able be able to have less ability to, to borrow this is a guy who flips homes not a bitcoiner i was explaining Bitcoin him. so more and more every participant in the economy is paying attention to this and we shouldn't have to. Like these is people were playing unelected officials were playing around with our money. And now every every person, regardless if they're Bitcoiners or not, they're paying attention to, to what the Fed says. It's ridiculous. I think.
2: I know how fucked up is it that you, you can't just produce value, earn money for that value, and then put it somewhere and keep it. You have everybody has to be like an investment expert or you know their their expertise or their 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 money to somebody else who is an expert in order to just maintain the value that you have earned fairly over time. It's it's infuriating. Totally
1: agree. So uh, I want
0: to also actually ask this because you you up how you know we're starting to see it creep into land. You see a real estate developer talking about this, but we also were talking about how a country like El Salvador, they are a dollarized nation and they will feel the effects of things like an increase in our interest rates even more drastically than the next person who wants to buy their second or third vacation home just to airbnb it out to the next person i'm curious though if those if people in these other jurisdictions that are stuck using the dollar if they even bother themselves or if they have the time, the bandwidth to do it, or if they just sort of have to, we need to just, I need to make money to send home. I need to make money and sort of live and survive.
1: Ecuador is another example of a dollarized economy. And Ecuador is even bigger than El Salvador. I think this impacts these countries even more than, than like Americans, for example, regarding the Fed. Cause th- th- there was no stimmy check for Salvadorians, right? They only got the inflation, but they didn't get the stimulus check, right? And they're using dollars, but but the stimulus check only goes to, to you know people in the United States, but those Salvadorians who, who use the dollar, they don't get the benefits. So like all the all these policy decisions, they only get the the, the the you know the the bad part, I feel. And so I don't know like at the microeconomy level, if people who are sending remittances are looking at I, I wouldn't be able to answer that question, you know, to see if these people are are looking at the uh, at um, the what the what the Fed is doing, but it definitely impacts them. You know, we, we've seen price prices going up in all of these countries, and especially in dollarized countries, prices have gone up. El Salvador, Guatemala, Guatemala is not dollarized, but we, are, we, are, we like this is affecting everyone, and and I think long term we. Something has to change. I, I think more and more countries like El Salvador, and I think Ecuador could be a, another good candidate because of what the government did with, with the switch to the dollar. These countries are gonna be the first ones to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Argentina is another example. In Argentina, instead of going, being being a top-down thing, it's, it's a bottom-up thing. A lot of these, so there's two big wallets, like digital wallet in, uh, in Argentina, one is Lemon Cash and the other one is called Belo. They already support Lightning. I, I know Belo already supports Lightning. And so people are starting to use Bitcoin in Argentina, but it's, it's more of a grassroots thing than a government push. So I, I think it, it's going to uh, slowly, but it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen here.
0: So I want to shift this back to bitcoin because ultimately and, and I'll just leave it at this once again the market decided how much they wanted the rate hikes to be and the federal reserve just did what the market is almost like we're overpaying 12 white people to make decisions that the market itself will just make f- for itself
2: wait I'm you're pa- saying that ha- the fed you're saying the fed does not actually control the direction of the market no
0: no no they they do only so far as they think they do
2: it's so like I was- I was making the joke that they don't control shit. They basically are a reactive agency, even though they present themselves as a proactive agency. You
0: are one of I think the the metaphor I'm trying to present is like, you know that kid that you know you you you're babysitting, you gotta make him feel special and important, but in reality, like you're just you're doing your own thing, you're you're off, whatever teacher gives this one kid something to keep themselves busy. That kid thinks he's super important, special, turns in a report and was like, yeah, cool. Great job. Meanwhile, the rest of the class worked on like the actual project that was supposed to be taken care of and done. That's what the market and the Fed. The Fed is the The, little kid that you just got to keep busy.
1: The illusion of choice. Yeah, I think.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Rafa, I'd love just if you can share in your opinion, why do you think Bitcoin is a superior form of money specifically as it relates to a medium of exchange?
1: It's a bare asset, instant settlement, extremely low fees. It's a digital native currency. I, I think, so, so Guatemala has a hard, there's 11 cell phones for every 10 persons. The, wow. Yeah. <laughs> there are no, no, no. a lot of places in Guatemala where there's no electricity, but you can get cell phone signal.
2: Oh, that's amazing. <sighs> that is an amazing stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, why do I think Bitcoin is the best medium of exchange? Because it's, it's the best money anybody can have, I think. And a lot of these, like 40% of unbanked people, it's not that the banks are evil and they don't wanna you know, provide services for 40% of the people. It's just not profitable for the banks because the, the bank is a money making machine and so a person is maybe doesn't have enough savings that the it's not cost wise it doesn't make sense it's not economically feasible for the bank to provide services for 40% of the population and so providing digital money should not providing access to digital money should not be a profit making business i feel right it should it, it, it's it's a commodity it's a you know, a digital uh, digital commodity that, uh, that anybody should ha- have access to. And so that's, that's why I feel like in my sort of latitudes, that's that's the struggle that I see people having. For example, workers, I, I talk to people who, who have farms, the workers, they take their phone to work only because they can charge it at work. Because back home, they don't have electricity. So they, they, they go to work in the farm, they charge it, the phone in the farm, and then they take it home and use up the battery during the rest of the night and then go back to work again and charge it again. And so, how can we provide financial services for these people? How can these people get access to digital money? The only way I feel is through Bitcoin.
2: So, what are some of the technical challenges, you know, as the CTO of, of, of IBEX? And by the way, is it
1: IBEX or EBEX? Depends on what language you're speaking. In. What, what, what I mix in I- 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 English. Okay. Uh, what is.
2: A- <laughs>
0: There's what a running some- joke, just so you know, Rafa, that P pronounces every single business and name incorrectly on this show.
2: I'd say it's not it's not everyone. It's we're talking literally money. everyone. It's it's like at least it's no more than 90%. So uh, get your facts straight, Q. But I'm curious, what are some of the technical challenges that you guys face specifically as it relates to lightning? Like what are some of the, yeah, what are the biggest hurdles that in your position you have to, to overcome?
1: Lightning works incredibly well. I wouldn't, I don't have any like complaints about lightning or anything that I'd say, oh, you know, lightning is, is struggling with this. Whenever we use lightning, it works perfectly. There are some small things, for example, invoices have too many characters. So for implementing, like being able to send money with feature phones instead of smartphones, there's a protocol called USSD for sending. That's the protocol that, for example, M-Pesa uses in Africa for sending money through phones. The invoice is too long. And so it doesn't fit inside the, the protocol. So a workaround is using lightning addresses, which are much smaller. So you can go to lightning addresses within a text message. And it doesn't you know fill up the whole text space but those are like small challenges i think lightning it's incredible i think there's there's on the on the non-custodial side i think there's a lot of development that can that can help bring non-custodial lightning services to more people right now no going non-custodial requires either significant technical skills or it's a pretty bad user experience. Because if you're running, for example, a, 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 like a small lightning node on your phone, for example, like Breeze has been doing recently, every time you open the app, it needs to resync sync the, the lightning node. And so, you know, if somebody's gonna, for example, in our case where people pay in Bitcoin, when, when somebody says, oh, can I pay a Bitcoin? And they pull out their Bitcoin wallet and the merchant like, pulls out the, the, the wallet and then has to wait for an hour for the lightning node to sync on the phone. It, it's, not a, it's not a great experience. That's why, so, so I think, but there are people are working on that. I've talked to some people who are doing like, you know, non-custodial service, but the, the node sits somewhere else and only comes, it spins up on demand. Those types of things I think are being worked on by, by some really smart people. So on the non-custodial side, I think the the, the work that needs to get done is user experience for non-custodial Lightning services. I think there's a lot of improvement that can happen there to, to bring that to more people. But in terms of like the Lightning Network throughput, I think it's working great. It's working even better every time. Like we were seeing a higher percentage of failed payments last year compared to this year. And that, that, and that just speaks to like the Lightning Network's resiliency and how much it's growing, how many nodes, channels, different paths that payments can take there are. So, so that, I think, is like is, is, is The Lightning Network is bootstrapping itself super quickly. It's just like the, the last mile thing, like how the user interacts with the service, I think needs, needs some work for the non-custodial side.
2: Yeah, I think that is the the current frontier is how do you basically allow people to have full custody of their lightning wallet while they're using a mobile device. You know, in terms of not being able to be fully connected to the network at all times. You said people are having to charge their phones at work and then use it at home. That is an interesting challenge. There's definitely yeah, work being done there.
1: Yeah, Blockstream is working on something called green where the note you yeah. can, where the node it's like a virtual node that spins up on the fly whenever you're doing a payment. And there, there's some central node that it connects to just to sync up the copy of the, of the lightning of the graph. It, there's a lot of stuff that's happening there that, that'll sort of, it'll be a mix between uh, connecting to a server elsewhere in the cloud or some other you know, service provider, like LSP, that's the new sort of term. And- It's a lightning service provider, yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm, interesting. So what? Go ahead. Keep, no, no, go
0: ahead. Keep going. going
2: to say what what specific areas in the lightning technology space are you most excited about right now? Like what are you, you know, per, for me personally, I, I'm really excited about, you know, Fetty and the work that Obinwasu and, you know, Eric and all those all those guys are doing, but I'm curious what what gets you the most fired up when you're when you're thinking about the new developments that are happening in the lightning network.
1: What I said, user experience user experience our mission at IBEX is to help bring bitcoin to as many to, our mission is to bring, make bitcoin easy easy for companies easy for for individuals and so how can we make bitcoin easy for these billions of people who are not bitcoiners right that that's sort of how how, how what what I'm excited about so this green light project is something that I'm very excited about we are starting to do some testing and it's sort of like Within the spectrum of, of custodial and non-custodial, what pieces can you keep on the mobile device and what other pieces of the sort of lightning node or lightning protocol implementation you can keep in a, in a separate node. And so that is really what excites me more because that is what's going to bring Bitcoin to, to billions of people. Um, yeah, more the user experience thing. At least... What we do at Ibex, we're not like a lightning engineering company. We're more of helping, our job is more to help companies and people use Bitcoin. So that user experience part, I think, is the is going to be the key to making Bitcoin easy for, for, for non-Bitcoiners.
0: I want to just also go back a little bit, Rafa, and ask... Maybe a stupid question, but I'm not the technical person, P is. When you bring up how there were a lot of failed payments last year, more so than you guys are seeing this year, what were some of the things your team was concluding caused those failed payments?
1: The nodes, I think there was no, there were no, because a lightning payment like jumps through, through several, you know, makes several jumps through a path and something in the path wouldn't work, like a node was down, or a channel didn't have enough liquidity, things like that. I think there's more liquidity pouring in to the Lightning Network, and just having more liquidity enables more successful payments. There, were, there, there, there was, I think that last year there was much, I, I don't know exactly what the growth in liquidity has been for the Lightning Network between 2021 and 2022, but it must be something significant because you know, the more liquidity there is in, in, in the Lightning Network and you know, distributed across channels, the easier it is to, to make to have successful payments. There are multiple paths that a payment can take. It's easier for payments to get confirmed. And so I think that's that was the main con. You know, there are companies that are specializing in having these very well connected nodes, nodes with a bunch of liquidity. I know that's sort of like a centralized spot, but this enables like super fast payments. The cool thing is these companies, they cannot monopolize this. Like anybody can, you know, set it up. But yeah, I think, I think liquidity is is sort of what's, what's happening.
0: So I just, I totally lost my train of thought there. I had the question and then it was just like, nah, you're not going to get this question out, out of your mouth. P back to
2: you. (laughs) <laughs> I guess I'm just – um, I, my, my bent is always towards the, the more – the more.
0: Oh, no. I remember it. Stop talking, oh. P. Okay. We saw yesterday the news about this hack that happened in, within the Lightning Network. A lot of people up in arms about it, upset.
2: I'd wait, love it. wait, hold on. Hold on. It was not a hack. Let's be very clear.
0: This okay. was Clarify. an
2: issue – Okay. So this is an issue that Barack, who – you know, I don't know, a couple, several weeks back contributed a, or made a transaction that BTCD, which is used by LND, which is one of the more popular Lightning protocol implementations, submitted a transaction and it, it essentially broke LND. So that required a hotfix, which was pushed out very quickly. Then yesterday, there was another transaction that he created, which did not have the same level of disruption to the network, but also affected LND. And there's been interesting controversy because some people are saying like, hey man, like why are you, why are you, you know, sort of black hat style submitting these transactions, which negatively affect the Lightning Network. The argument is, oh, you're you're creating FUD around the Lightning Network. And then the other side of it is, well, Bitcoin is for enemies. Bitcoin is an adversarial environment. So if you're seeing these issues, you absolutely are entitled to call them out and to create transactions that are going to you know cause this level of controversy so that they get fixed as rapidly as possible. So that, that's what was going on. It's definitely not a hack. no funds were lost. In fact, on the most recent one, end users didn't wouldn't have, would not have even noticed, but there was a, a sort of negative press for, Lightning Labs, and uh, because they're the ones that produce LD. So that's what we're talking about. But Q, please continue.
0: No, 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 I mean, I just, all of what P said, Rafa, I'd love your thoughts on whether this was an appropriate thing that happened. Is this a necessary thing? Would you have done things differently or the same?
1: I know some of the Lightning Labs folks, so I probably would have taken a different approach. But, you know, as P said, it's lightning is, is it should, should be re- like Bitcoin should be resilient and anybody should be able to, to attack it. And, we, and I think I would definitely have done it uh, in a different manner, but it is what it is. Like with great power comes great responsibility, man. We, we need, like, if you want to, you know, custody your own money. You should be responsible for making sure you have the, the, the latest update of the software, right? We stand on the shoulders of giants. All the people who have contributed to Bitcoin, all the companies who, who are working on the Lightning Protocol. And so th- that's how I see it. And so I wouldn't like, you know, try to attack it because I, I respect everyone's work. And I think I, I want to push the, 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 I don't want to create FUD, but... The whole point of Bitcoin is to protect you from, from you know, adversaries and, and, and enemies. So I think we are like super connected to any, to all the different channels of communication for all the different uh, software components that we use in our stack. And we're always like, you know, checking that everything is is up to up to date. But yeah, it is what it is. I, I have nothing else to say about that.
0: Fair. I'd, P. Unless there was anything else you wanted to talk, lightning in particular, I I wanted to switch it now back to just Rafa because at the beginning of the conversation, Rafa, you brought up two things that I think most, if not all, Bitcoiners kind of go through. The two things being, the first time you heard about Bitcoin, you literally ignored it. I I myself did the exact same thing. In fact, when I attempted to Send myself things in college and found out that I had to use Bitcoin as the payment. I was like, eh, what is this? No, nah. you know, that's that's the hurdle that I don't want to deal with. So no. And it took me until 2017 as well. I'd love it if you could just share advice for those people who maybe are just now coming back to Bitcoin or have been turned off by Bitcoin, of different ways they can try to. Reapproach.
1: I learned an expensive lesson. I think at that point, always give everything a chance. I think give everything a chance to to learn. Like it, it, you know that. I think I learned to always hear everyone, hear like be more aware of my surroundings and not be as certain of, you know, I know what's right and what's wrong. And I I have like, you know, be more aware of my ignorance and and, and more open to the lessons and things out in the world that I can learn. I think that's what Bitcoin taught me. What can I I tell people who've who've been sort of turned off by Bitcoin? The thing is when I finally understood Bitcoin, I haven't been turned off by Bitcoin, but like I I fell down the rabbit hole. and like, there's no way I'm coming, coming back. I even like, you know, I had to find a job in Bitcoin because there was no way of of like, you know, getting rid of this virus, I think. So this is probably not not the best thing to say, but Bitcoin is like a religion. (laughs) And and so every Bitcoiner, every Bitcoiner that you meet sort of agrees on certain principles of, of what's right and what's wrong, like certain like moral principles. And I think anybody who's sort of been turned out by turned off by Bitcoin, should sort of look at those those principles of Bitcoin like not your keys, not your wallet, don't uh, verify, don't trust. All these sort of main tenets of, of Bitcoin, they make sense to everyone. It it makes sense that ev- every person who listens to this, it's obvious that it makes sense, right? And and so I think anybody who who, who sort of been turned off by by Bitcoin should should. You know, read a, a about those things, and I try not to read. So I don't read like a lot of Bitcoin philosophical sort of books, or or you know all these books that come out. I I stick to the core principles, and that's sort of what I believe in. And if anything changes in the way that Bitcoin works that doesn't match my beliefs, then I don't know. I like I'll, I'll find something else to do. But I don't know. I think I think. There are these certain core core principles in Bitcoin that everyone that there's this common ground that all bitcoiners can sort of agree on and and people need to revisit those those common tenets.
0: So I don't agree with that quite frankly, rafa no, really? i will I will say like there's a degree where i I do agree, and that is you know there are fundamental core values that most bitcoiners should have based on what Bitcoin offers. But we're entering this iteration where, and we talk very openly about this on the show, Like Bitcoin is not meant just for people who have a certain viewpoint or vantage point about the world or think this should be done by the government or should not be done by the government. Bitcoin is genuinely meant for everyone and, and all ideas to be absorbed by it. That said, of course, there are certain things like, you know, being a freedom oriented person versus being a more state oriented person. Like one of those types of people is more likely to find and discover and really understand Bitcoin. But I frankly think and I find, especially, you know, Bitcoin Twitter being what it is, like there's a lot of hypocrisy there. There's a lot of hypocrisy of like, I want my ideas to go through and, you know, I believe in Bitcoin. So therefore, this idea is right and just and your idea is just flat out wrong. And I think that divisiveness is incorrect and not actually a, a true tenet and value of Bitcoin. There's this, we're six days away from an election. So I'll make it political a little bit. You know, we've, we're starting to see Bitcoin turn into this, like, oh, well, Republicans and far-right extremists like Bitcoin, so therefore I'm a Democrat or I'm a liberal, so therefore I must not like Bitcoin. And That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The ideas and conversation around energy blow my mind because they, they're rooted in a lack of understanding of just how and why energy usage is valuable for humanity and society. But the thing that I find Really weird. And like we talked about this at the very beginning of this episode, there was a conversation going on around Bitcoin Twitter around, oh, Iran looks like it's going to start bombing Saudi Arabia. And, you know, the question I keep posing to everyone is like, why is this the media narrative Bitcoiners want to buy into and believe? And it's because it feeds into these biases that we already sort of have. Another example that You know, I didn't ever say this publicly. This will probably cancel me for good from Bitcoin Twitter. But the reaction to the Roe v. Wade decision, I felt was very anti-Bitcoin. And what I mean by that is you had a class of citizens lose freedom and rights that were then turned around and given to the state. And you had these anti-statist, freedom-oriented Bitcoiners applauding the decision not because it was true to the value of freedom, but because it was true to what they themselves wanted to see. And I felt like we are starting to see this divisiveness more and more. And I challenge and urge people, instead of saying, you have to be this freedom-oriented max, it's like, no, you could have, there's, there are infinite reasons why someone should adopt Bitcoin but there's only going to be one reason for each individual. And the reason you may choose to adopt Bitcoin for yourself and the reason I choose to adopt Bitcoin can be two frankly opposite reasons. They could be. And I think this, there is a divisiveness that is growing that is frankly dangerous to the potential for hyper-Bitcoinization.
1: Yeah, I saw a meme come out where it has like Bitcoin or starter pack and like a cross and like a Bible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly like, I'm sorry I'm, I'm not like I'm spiritual I'm absolutely spiritual but like I, I don't have a cross in this house like I'm, I'm a brown family from the Middle East like there, there's no cross in this house but there, there, there has become this divisiveness of like you have to have these qualities you have to be this type of person it's like no you just literally have to be a human being At, like my dog's not going to interact with Bitcoin unless we figure that out but beyond that Bitcoin is for everyone.
1: Yeah, I, when I said that, like core principles in Bitcoin or core, you know, values in Bitcoin, I mean more things like keep state out, keep the state out of money, things like that. Every Bitcoiner is going to agree on that, whether they're far right Bitcoin or leftist Bitcoin. That's sort of something that we can all agree on, right? And and so those are the basic principles that I feel that Bitcoin should have. The whole thing on Bitcoin Twitter, like, you know, where those narratives are taken, I think narratives can be manipulated and I don't know like what the purpose of that is. I don't really keep up too much with with what's going on in Twitter because, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion and there's like a lot of narratives that are coming in and out that are distracting, right? I'm focused on building... And, and that's what, what, what I'm passionate about. I don't know. I think th- these sort of narratives that, that, that happen, I think people need the other thing about about humans is we need to be entertained, right? <laughs> we need to be this have a distraction, have something that entertains us, we need to gossip. Those things are just moving into the digital world now but but it's still, happening and so I don't really I don't really think it's it's that it's that powerful maybe we should get the CEO of Bitcoin to come out and make a statement.
0: <laughs> My volume cut out literally as you said that I'm so sorry. Do you mind repeating yourself?
1: No I'm just making a joke. I'm making a bad joke about the Bit- the CEO of Bitcoin coming out and making a statement.
0: Yes, yes, of course. Or just asking him to to just change, you know, the price of Bitcoin or or reissue the Bitcoin that I lost all those years ago. Yeah. But I'm curious if you feel like the divisive narrative that has been growing is helpful or harmful to the growth of Bitcoin. And by growth, I more mean adoption.
1: I don't think it's relevant. I think adoption. When we're talking about billions of people who are unbanked, the the narratives on Twitter really are not something that's gonna gonna matter to people. It, it, it's uh, as I said, it's something that, to entertain us. Who Bitcoiners were Bitcoin Twitter. It's entertaining. It's gossip. It's stuff. But it, it's entertainment at the end of the day. I think it's if you think of it in the long term i don't think it's going to really bitcoin is unstoppable bitcoin is just it's, it's unstoppable there's no way any government's going to be able to stop it and so every bull run millions of new bitcoiners are born or millions of people new people get exposed to bitcoin so every every bull run is this Big adoption thing, and then it stabilizes. And then another bull run until, you know, the whole world is going to know about Bitcoin. On the, like, user research that we were doing, we were, uh, with people who received remittances, we interviewed a couple of people who were, like, around 40, 47. They didn't know what Bitcoin was, but but we interviewed a couple of 20-something-year-olds that were cashing out remittances. They knew about Bitcoin. They already knew about Bitcoin, these people. And so that is... New compared to like two years ago, and that's going to continue happening. I, I just I just want to be around to see it. <laughs> but it's 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 it's, it's un, I feel it's unstoppable. So people will have opinions. I think that's great that, that people have different opinions. I'm, I'm I'm happy that people are are free to express their their opinions and and, and, and you know speak their minds. I think that is. For, at least for me, an important thing of living in a free society. And I, I would never wanna like feel that a, a narrative has to be controlled or anything. People should just, you know, be able to say whatever they want to say. And Bitcoin's gonna keep churning along. <laughs> it's Bitcoin, no, not gonna stop. I,
0: I also very much appreciate and I'm gonna take the liberty of, of changing your words, but it almost feels like, you know, these narratives that we're discussing, it's a privilege to be in a position to discuss those versus being in a situation where you are unbanked and you have no choice and this is a life raft to save you from the situation that you find yourself in.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a way of, uh, of putting it. And we are all passionate about Bitcoin. We're always gonna be you know looking for anything that anybody says about Bitcoin, they wanna read it, right? <laughs> that's just how it is. But Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the most reliable computer ever made no other computer in the world has run for as long as bitcoin without ever stopping
0: and i think that's an important note like there was i think chris correct me if i'm wrong there was a long block wait time over the weekend as well and then last weekend there was also like an almost i think it was 80 85 minutes yeah of a block time and like crypto people were like, oh, look, Bitcoin stopped, but like, it didn't stop. It continues to go. And I'd love if you can just kind of, you don't need to, nor do I want you to discuss what shit coins you went down the path of, but can you just share for some of our audience members who may be lost, who may be in the weeds of shit coins, what first drew you away from Bitcoin? And then what was it that brought you back to say like, yo, this is all just, stupid bitcoin is the only real valuable digital currency
1: i think how easy it is for programmers was what brought me to other places like building stuff on other crypto platforms was easier than building on bitcoin and that's what sort of made me interested in in, in exploring other areas but there is so much irresponsibility and bullshit in those spaces that there was a point where I couldn't like keep up anymore with like what what was going on like it felt it's morally irresponsible to continue down that path instead of building something for the future and something that I'm going to look back on and feel proud of myself of having contributed to to humanity and to advancement of, of, of you know in a society and that's where, and that's why I want to work in bitcoin that's what, what 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 keeps me here is that you know I'm proud of what I do and I, I didn't feel proud of other of working in other in other areas bitcoin is, is a, a solid platform it's, it's 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 something that yeah I think I think it comes down to that being proud of the work that I do
0: as everyone should be so P has Rafa convinced you to stop shitcoining.
2: <laughs> I haven't shit-coined since 1978. Also, Rafa, did you
0: know? How old do you think P is? Genuine? Oh my question. god,
2: this old chestnut. <laughs> we have beaten this horse horse to death, and said you
0: it say that. Effect. You say that, and yet I still get laughs.
2: Thirty-five.
0: <laughs> If you add a one to the beginning of that number. I'm the oldest person
2: on the stream. So the joke is that I am a Highlander, which of course I am. And I've been around forever. He continues what?
0: to freeze his body and then defrost it to That's re-enter true. society and civilization. He has seen a lot of things.
2: He's How penny style?
0: Encyclopedia of knowledge.
2: The only the reason that the, that the show is always from the shoulders up is because below this is a cyborg body. Nobody has seen me in person in years. I, I want to ask a totally different question. One of the things that I... I, I, I'm, I read a lot of science fiction, and I feel like the a lot of fiction inspires a lot of the positive changes that we see in society. And wh- I'm curious what fiction, we talk a lot about things like the mandibles, which is not science fiction, it's more like science fact, but I'm curious if there's anything that is outside of Bitcoin that you focus your energy on that impacts how you think about Bitcoin and what those things might be
1: meditation i think you know self-knowledge stoicism as, as i said when i was when i was when i was like first looked at bitcoin i just threw it away I, I read a white paper and i didn't like think about it i need to be more open and aware of my surroundings i think being practicing that the ability of being um i don't know what the word is maybe mindful i don't know but being more open to to listening to new things, I think, is a process of being a more mature per person as you get older, of not like not never discarding anything just because it doesn't fit my current you know frame of mind. And so people are, are I think, I don't know I, the the I think outside. Of, I don't really do a lot of stuff outside, outside of Bitcoin in my family. That's pretty much all I do, but. Meditation and, and practicing the, the ability to to you know remove yourself from your drop your ego and drop your oh, like your, the, your preconceptions and mental things that sort of block you block you from seeing the world as it is. I, I think those uh, practicing that is a is something that's very very powerful and I think a lot of people are doing it more and more. It, it, you know, some people may do it through through meditation, others through like psychedelics but diff- there's different ways of sort of removing your your ego or the, the mental sort of blockers that you may have and be more open to 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 new things and to listening about uh, to, to looking at the truth of 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 the world there i think society is more and more moving towards that not, not everyone like a lot of people there's a lot of like distractions in social media and things like that that pull that that you know Pull people away from 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 focusing on themselves, but I, I think that's that is like one thing that's gonna help us or 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 change the way that society works in the future. Being more mindful of those things is is not just a technological thing. It's a it's an evolution towards like more self awareness that that is gonna. That is quickly changing your your perception of things for for example bitcoin right how many paradigms did i have to break in order to understand bitcoin right i looked at bitcoin from the technical side i was like this is cool but then on the sort of philosophical thing on the philosophical perspective of know what is money how does money work what is value i had to go through down down that rabbit hole of nick zavo's blog posts i don't know if you read nick zavo his his all his research and stuff is incredible and so i went through down that rabbit hole and and, and it, it helped it helped me understand that there's there's more to to the world more there's more to money than 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 what meets the eye and uh, yeah i think that's sort of what what we're sort of evolving Towards in a certain way. What do you think? <laughs> I'd love to hear what you think.
2: Q, I'm gonna let you take this one first.
0: Just oddly about the mentality,
2: or specifically what? Rafa, you want you want to rearticulate the question so oh, Q can no, Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think your question P was what advances or new. Changes in like science fiction? Do you think are Do you think are affecting the way society behaves? I think that was the question.
0: Just the idea of the metaverse. I think it's like making us dumber. Like candidly, it's this idea of, oh, like let's let's do this. Let's focus all of our energy over here. When in fact we have so many broken systems in place, and we are rather than trying to fix the money. We're more worried about, let's get a bunch of digital art set up in a digital environment because that is where the future of our society will live. Man, I'm still waiting for my flying car and hoverboard and self-tying Nikes. All right. Robert Zemeck has promised me these things very, very, oh, using two various of the wrong approach there but i was promised these things by back to the future and i've yet to receive them and i think society would be a lot better if like we just abandoned all of these things and focused more on you know easier travel right now the fact that the best we could do for travel around the world is an airplane which is truly an incredible phenomenon but there's no added innovation we're not trying to expand on that we're not trying to improve on that You have the metaverse taking up so much time. In fact, one of the largest businesses in the world shifted their entire business model to focus on this, and it just bleeds their business money now. And there is a class of people who genuinely think this is the future. We've seen, what was it, Google Glass try to enter the VR world. We saw Microsoft with their VR headset. We have Meta now with their, their VR headsets. You have this push towards virtual reality while we then choose to forget how to live in real reality. What does that lead into? P, that leads into your bug protein, that leads into 3D printed meat, that leads into this idea that we don't need things from the real world anymore. And I think that is a very dangerous path to go down. But that said, we don't need real world money. We need
1: digital money. <laughs> One thing that, that surprised me recently was my son. He told me, dad, I built you, my seven-year-old son, he told me, dad, I built you a house on Minecraft. And so he showed me this, it's got got like a, you know, a staircase and a pool or whatever. He was showing it to me and he was pulling lava from some other thing and he dropped lava in the house. And so the house caught fire and burned down. And he was crying. He spent all day, he was like super depressed and super, you know, sad that, that, that his virtual house had burned down. And I was like, holy shit, this is another world that I have no idea. Like, this is a completely, like, my, my son was emotionally affected in a way that I had never seen him be. Like, even if his Legos, his, like physical Legos, you know, broke, he wouldn't freak out. Like he freaked out about his, his virtual house burning down. And this is a seven-year-old kid who, this is his world. I realized, holy shit, this is his world. And a world that I, had, I have no, I have never seen. And so, I'm not sure how to think about it yet. Like what's going on there? Is this just another distraction or is this something of value? Because it it was, to to him, it was something of value that he had created that was destroyed. And so I don't know how to, to, if, if we try to, if we extrapolate sort of that behavior, 10 years, 20 years when my son is like 25, 27 years old, What's going to happen? What What is that going to look like? <laughs> right?
2: I just love imagining you sitting your son down and he's crying. He's really upset about this Minecraft fire that destroyed his entire house. And you're just being like, just remember, the government hates you and you need to buy Bitcoin. Just <laughs> <laughs> No explanation. Just that. Really just hammering it home, you know, warping his young, fragile mind. I grew, My dad is was a, you know, m- numismatist, was a, a precious metals trader for his professional life. And that was just like a a constant, like repeated refrain in my household. Like, you know, Bitcoin obviously didn't exist when I was, you know, a a young child, but it's like the government is trying to inflate away your value. Trust no one. And, uh, you know, hard money is the only money.
1: (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen, man. It's a, it's a scary thing.
0: (laughs) Rafa, let me ask you this because. Neither P nor I have children that we know of, but like as you see just where the world is today, as we prepare, hopefully, to give our children a better world, do you feel like we are on that right path? Or what would you like to see changed? I'm giving you the magic wand. You are king of the world. What are you changing?
1: I have no idea what I would change, man. What I see is that younger generations, they just believe in Bitcoin from the start. They don't have any of those paradigms that we had to break in order to understand Bitcoin. At least that I had to break in order to understand what what was the value of Bitcoin. Kids right now, they know that Bitcoin is the future. Like uh, one of my son's friends, another seven-year-old kid, he told me, yeah, Bitcoin is the future. This kid, right? This kid... uh, (laughs) For them, it's natural. It, that's how it's going to happen. Because I remember that this video that goes around sometimes of, of these news reporters trying to analyze what is what, what an email address was. Like, what is this A with a squiggly line around it? Like, what does at mean? And, and this was back in the 90s. Like, the email was just coming out. And we like, what does at mean? When you say, you know, rafa at ibexmercado.com, what does at mean? What, mean what is this squiggly thing i think younger generations they don't have they don't come with all that baggage that that we come <laughs> that we had to grow up uh, in a fiat system with right and and so that's what why i am very bullish on bitcoin because for younger generations this is going to be like super simple i lived through the internet you know the adoption of internet when i was a little kid right i had my encycl- my First, I had like my physical encyclopedia books, then then like Microsoft Encarta, a CD where, where, where you have the encyclopedia inside the CD. And I went through the sort of phase to Google, Googling, you know, and, and online and everything. And so for me, it was natural to use the Internet to like my dad, for whom it wasn't like a natural thing. And Bitcoin is a natural thing for the younger generation, which wasn't for us. We're fascinated by Bitcoin and like, you know, it, 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 we, all we want to do is Bitcoin and we want to read Bitcoin and everything. But younger kids, they're not as, I feel like, I feel younger generations are not as passionate about Bitcoin itself for what it, it means for society because they're, they're growing in a world where Bitcoin is just a natural thing. It's just gonna be, you know, it's money, right? It's digital money. There's no, you don't have to ask, you know, how does the email protocol work and how is an email sent and what server receives it? And how does my email client read it? It's, it's not relevant, right? I just log into, a, I log into a website and I just look at my email. And, and kids are, are more and more, it's going to be natural for them. And, and, and so I'm, for, I'm happy. that's one very bullish on different about. Back to your question, what could I change? Politicians
0: being more open to Bitcoin. Or just, okay. you know, get rid of politicians.
1: That's not going to happen. <laughs> touche,
0: touche. <touché>. But <laughs> a magic wand, you know, we're just going to wave the magic wand and, and believe that. When you hear Elizabeth Warren talk about the energy that Bitcoin uses, or you have someone bring up her whatever
1: Oh, like it's using it's
0: boiling the ocean, blah blah blah. Like, what is your response to the Bitcoin energy argument?
1: Energy protects Bitcoin. Energy is what gives Bitcoin its security, and so Bitcoin has to use energy. That's great, but all you need to mine Bitcoin is en, is cheap energy, and an internet connection. And so, places that typically had a lot of energy that that can that wasn't used now you be used for Bitcoin. And, and so I don't think that energy argument is, is has any any anything but people you need to explain it to every because I was speaking about this with, with one of my family members yesterday. he asked me the same question and I have to explain to you know energy is what gives Bitcoin a security and what protects Bitcoin from, from uh, double spend. When, when I hear people like Elizabeth Warren I think it's it's not ignorance. I don't think she's she's ignorant about this. It's, there are other motives here at play that that are beneficial to her agenda or people like her agenda and so i think you have to i i i don't waste my time trying to to, to understand like what she's uh, people like like that like i'm saying i'm in my mind it is very clear that bitcoin is unstoppable is going to be adopted by the whole world it's just a matter of time So these people can say whatever they want. It's okay. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have an opinion about it. And that's, that's it. Right. People are going to attack Bitcoin from every angle, always. And the more mainstream it becomes, the more it's going to be attacked.
0: Absolutely. I kind of feel like we've reached that point where it is mainstream because even, even in the midst of this bear market, you have CNBC every day. Oh, here's the price of Bitcoin. Rafa. As we wind down, I want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything you wished we had asked you that P obviously forgot to ask you that you'd like to highlight?
1: Mm. I don't think so. (laughs) Thank you you so much for joining us, man. To speak my mind. (laughs) No,
0: this was this was a lovely conversation, Rafa. For our audience, can you give them a little handoff on how they can stay up to date with anything you or the Ibex Mercado team is cooking up?
1: Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Rafa underscore Cordon, R A F A underscore C O R D O N, and uh, you can follow Ibex at Powered by Ibex. That's the Twitter handle at Powered by Ibex.
0: Awesome, Rafa. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone who has been tuning in. We are not done yet. However, it is Wednesday. It is the FOMC meeting. We have Ansel and CK joining us for a new episode of FedWatch, especially after the Bitcoin and Markets channel was shortly. I hope, Ansel, it's been returned to you from YouTube because you know YouTube, the censorship platform, at it again. But before I say my goodbyes to you, I want to remind everyone we are going back to Miami, May 18th to the 20th, Come to Bitcoin 2023, lock in your tickets now, and use promo code BMLive to get 10% off. If you miss Bitcoin 2022, if you miss Bitcoin 21, if you miss Bitcoin Amsterdam, do not miss Bitcoin 2023. Lock in your tickets now before prices go up. And of course, the censorship-resistant print magazine is being shipped as we speak. Lock in your subscription at the Bitcoin magazine store and use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of that. Hey, guys. This is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now, Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.